One of the categories that we're fond of thinking about, at least for the last couple centuries, is that of rights. We think about rights, we think about our own rights, human rights, the rights that we have as citizens. There are rights that people have as members of the church. These are, that's a very sort of common way to categorize a lot of human activity these days. Um, and it's fine, there's a lot of truth to the, the fact that there are certain um, things that are due to people just because they're human beings or just because maybe they're members of the church or have a certain station, you have certain rights as an employee at work, and so on and so on and so on. It's fine. It starts to not work when we start applying it to God. And when we start to sort of expect from God certain things the way we expect them from human institutions, when we start to think that we have rights for, that God owes us, it's completely wrong. We have rights as human beings because we're equal to each other. We're not equal to God. We have rights as employees because we provide something for the company. We provide nothing to God. And so the concept of rights in that scenario is meaningless, has nothing to provide, no truth to provide. And it can lead us into really serious mistakes as we see in the Gospel today. The Gospel today is about that. He goes back to Galilee, back to sort of his hometown, and his friends, his relatives, the people that he sort of grew up with, think that they have a right to certain things from him just because they know him, or they think they know him. But the way that Luke writes it puts us right in the middle as well. This is not just about the people of Nazareth. So he goes into Galilee, there's a report about him, so there's rumors. That means, and, and we're really good at this as a community, people heard rumors about Jesus, and they thought that based on these rumors, they knew who he was. And we're really good at that. We're really good at thinking that, well, I heard this said about this person. Well, how do you know it's true? How do you know it's not just a rumor? Well, the person that told me the rumor said they know for sure. I hope you understand how stupid that is. Anybody can say, I know for sure. That's a fact. It's easy to say the word fact. You can say that a million times. It doesn't make it a fact. So these people believed these rumors about Jesus. They thought they knew him. He taught in their synagogues. He was glorified by all. Again, we think, we feel sometimes, that when we praise God, He owes us something. As if He can be flattered. Like we're going to sort of get him to buy our product, like we're salesmen and we're just going to kind of convince him by saying nice things about him. Jesus has better self-esteem than that. We're not going to trick him into liking us by saying nice things about him. And finally he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and again, this kind of familiarity, this kind of closeness, could make us feel like, alright, I've been around for a while, I'm a churchy person, you owe me. He does not owe you. And the second you start thinking in that category, you fit right into this gospel 
I'm just going to jump to the end just so you know where this leads. You're going to try to kill him. They're going to, they, they chased him out, they put him out of the city, and they tried to throw him down a hill. That's where that mentality ends up. What does he do? I really like what he does. He goes home. Where does he, what does he do? He goes into the synagogue, and it says he goes into the synagogue as his custom was on the Sabbath day. I love it. Jesus goes to church once a week. So if you don't, I mean, you guys do because you're here. But if you don't, you're not even doing what Jesus did. He himself goes to the, the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And this is our equivalent and much greater. And he stood up to read and he was given the book of the prophet Isaiah. Jesus reads the Bible. And if you don't, there's something missing. And he reads from Isaiah. And he said, God has anointed me to preach good news to the poor and release to captives and recovery of sight to the blind to help the oppressed. And if you're not doing those things, then you're not anointed or you're not living out your anointing that you received in baptism. That's part of Christian life is to help those that need help. But you go to church, you read your Bible, you help the poor, good, that is the bare minimum, that is where you meet Christ. But those, that doesn't earn you points to make demands of Him. That's the bare minimum. And it's not a bare minimum of like, you know, a scoreboard. It's a bare minimum because here at church, this is where you encounter Him. This is where you receive Him. This is where you're forgiven of your sins. Here at church, you hear the Word of God proclaimed. And when you go home and you read the Bible, hopefully on a daily basis, that's where you encounter the, the Word of God. When you help the poor, that's where you can encounter Christ. But it's where you encounter Him. It's where you meet Him. It's not where you earn Him. You don't earn Him. Why am I really stressing this? Why am I stressing this point about rights? Because the, the presence of Christ in our life is a free gift. And we do not have rights to a gift. And if we have rights, then the giver is not doing it in love. But God does what He does in love. Rights and love are two basically incompatible categories. And so in front of God, the relationship that we're supposed to have is one of love. Now, where do things turn? Where do things kind of shift? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. Yourself, they're not saying you should heal yourself as a person. The, way the context makes it clear. Yourself, like, we're part of you. Heal us. And he doesn't like that. And they don't like that he doesn't like that. And this is the beginning of their rejection. And he says, no prophet is acceptable in his own town. Why? Let's, this is where it's all leading. The whole core of it is right here. Why is no prophet acceptable in his own country? Because we think we know him. 
and if he's our doctor, if he's going to heal us, he's going to heal us in his own way. That means he knows things that we don't. And if we're wounded and sick, that means the problem is not just knowledge. The problem is something deeper, and that means what he has to do to us to heal us is more than just say things. It means we're broken, and it means he's not. It means we're in need, and when he t looks at us, we need him to look at us with mercy and with compassion. Not as a customer that has paid their dues. And so in the end, the way that we encounter him, the way that we truly become members of himself, rather than citizens of Nazareth who just rejected him because we thought we knew him, the sort of crux of it, the heart of it is mystery. If we accept Christ as a mystery, if we accept him not as just a guy that we're related to, the son of Joseph, oh yeah, he's the son of the carpenter. Oh yeah, I know you because I go to church. I know you because I read the Bible. I get you. No, if you know him, if you get him, then he's not God. Because you'll never understand God. But if you accept him as God, that means you're going to accept that you'll never get him. He will always be a mystery to you. And if you can accept the mystery, if you can embrace the fact that he will always be greater, always be more than you could ever imagine. That's the beginning of your healing. And if his gift is so infinite that it's, he becomes present on this earth, in the flesh, walks this earth as man, but it's God walking this earth as man. If it's the communion that you're going to receive at the end of Mass, and if it's not a piece of bread, it's God who is there, present to you, entering your heart. If you accept that as a mystery that is always beyond your understanding, that is where you'll find your healing and your truth. Amen.